Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. And a lot of good things have come out about the hydroxy. A lot of good things have come out. And you'd be surprised at how many people are taking it, especially the frontline workers, before you catch it. The frontline workers, many, many are taking it. I happen to be taking it. I happen to be taking it. And he set the media on fire with that line yesterday. I think people could have guessed it, but to confirm it, and now people are asking, wait, is he really taking it? I don't think he made it up. But people went out of their minds. Every news story that, that cable news had set for that evening got thrown out windows when the president said, hey, by the way, I take hydroxychloroquine. The problem is some of these stories need to be front and center in our lives. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today, 833-GOT-TONY, 833-468-8669. On Facebook, Tony Katz Radio. Andrew McCarthy is a senior fellow at the National Review Institute, a contributing editor at National Review. He's also the author of Ball of Collusion, The Plot to Rig an Election and Destroy a Presidency. Very few people have been on top of what's going on with Michael Flynn the former national security advisor, what's going on with these court cases, what's been happening with the look at this conversation about Russia, Russia, Russia. And it wasn't until yesterday uh, that I read, really the day before that I read his piece at National Review unmasking, the real story is when Flynn was not masked in the first place, that I realized that this, even for me, has taken a turn, and I need an expert's point of view. Andrew McCarthy joins us right now. I want to, if I can, almost start at, at a quasi-beginning. You have Michael Flynn, the general, coming in as national security advisor. The argument had been that he had had this conversation with the Russian ambassador, Sergei Kislyak, Somehow that was against the rules, a violation of the Logan Act, which has never been utilized to prosecute anybody. And from that came an FBI conversation, which may have been part of an investigation where Flynn lied to FBI agents. That's the story that was told to us. He then pleaded guilty and the, the rest was history. But that's not how the story really unfolded. So if you could take, take a minute or take as long as you want, Take us through just the basics of the story so we're all on the same page there. Well, thanks, Tony. I have always found, because this is such a convoluted story in some ways, and it's got so many missing uh, or moving parts, um, I, I think the best way to understand this, or the easiest way at least for me to understand it, is to try to understand what the FBI and the Obama administration were trying to accomplish, because to me, then everything falls into place. Uh, in my mind, what they wanted to do was continue the Trump-Russia investigation after Trump was already president, which is very challenging because, of course, the president has the power to shut down any investigation. Plus, once Trump came to power, uh, he would discover that the Obama administration had surveilled his campaign uh, during 2016, which would be 
obviously a big uh, controversy, and it's the controversy we we have now. So with that as their goal, I think you immediately recognize that if you had an engaged, uh, savvy, professional national security advisor who was loyal to the president, and I think General Flynn checks all those boxes because he's the uh, longtime or longtime intelligence uh, officer in the Army, uh, for a while the uh, head of the Defense Intelligence Agency, somebody who understood how the intelligence community works, how they uh, conceal stuff, how the FBI interacts with it, and so on. I don't see how you could have continued the investigation with Flynn there. Um, and as a result, I think they wanted to neutralize him. I don't think they necessarily wanted to prosecute him, but they wanted to do pretty much the same thing that was later done with Jeff Sessions at the Justice Department, which was uh, cordon him off from the Russia investigation so they could continue it. And if so I'm what right you are about referring that, to, I think everything else falls into place. Right. So you, what you're basically discussing is the setting up of motive. What was the purpose of going after uh, Michael Flynn. So the purpose would have been to neutralize him so certain investigations or certain pieces of data wouldn't be able to come forward. So now you've right. got this case against Flynn. You have the FBI, which engaged in basically what they're not supposed to do. They certainly weren't honest. They certainly weren't forthcoming. They told him not to worry. They told him it was no big idea, no big deal. But he was actually the focus of their investigation when they went to question him, and that's been called a perjury trap. Now, he never perjured himself, so how does the perjury trap conversation happen? Well, perjury trap is kind of a, a term of art for uh, all kinds of elicita intentional elicitation of false statements that are some, sometimes they are in the context of perjury, which is when a statement is made under oath, and sometimes they're in the context of a different crime, which is called uh, false statements or material omissions. Uh, you can be prosecuted for making false statements uh, to FBI agents who are conducting an investigation if they are material to a legitimate investigation. And w the way they tried to set Flynn up was maybe I should tell you how this would work in a situation where you weren't trying to do a perjury trap. If you had a recorded conversation that you thought needed to be explained or, or understood by the investigators and you had a participant in the conversation, what you would do is play the recording or display a transcript and ask, what did this mean? What did that mean? What did you understand him uh, to be thinking when he said this? What were you thinking when you said that? That's not what they did. What they, what they instead did was they took this uh, conversation with Kislyak which had happened a month before under circumstances where Flynn was having maybe hundreds of conversations in the, in the interim. Uh, and rather than play it for him, they decided to ask him about the exact words that were used, knowing that none of us has a tape recorder in our head, right? He was not going to uh, completely uh, accurately remember the conversation. And the thought was if you could get him to say something different from what was on the recording, and it was teed up in a way that that could have been a willful false statement, then you have a case on him. And I think that was the, the main objective they had uh, was to be able to go to the 
uh, Trump administration and say that he had a problem uh, or they had a problem with him with respect to Russia and in particular whether he had accurately informed Vice President Pence about the conversation. I don't think at that point the FBI was really looking to make a criminal case on him. That came later when the Mueller team took over the investigation. Talking to Andrew McCarthy, senior fellow at the National Review Institute, National Review contributing editor, author of Ball of Collusion, the plot to rig an election and destroy a presidency, available at Amazon.com, wherever fine books are sold. So now we're into these two interesting stories, and we're going to get to the story of the judge, the the Department of Justice dropping, wanting to drop the case against Michael Flynn, and this judge saying, I don't know if I'm going to let you. We'll get to that in a second. Let's get now to the unmasking, because your article at National Review, the real story is when Flynn was not masked in the first place. When I heard about the unmasking, we learned that it was the U.S. ambassador to the U.N., Samantha Power. It was Vice President Joe Biden. It was Comey. It was the CIA director at the time, uh, John Brennan, the director of national intelligence at the time, James Clapper, Dennis McDonough, who was the chief of staff to uh, President Obama, all requested unmaskings having to do with Michael Flynn and what was the purpose of all these unmaskings? What you noted, being a lawyer, a former uh, assistant attorney there in the Southern District of New York, what you noted is that of everything that was unmasked, Michael Flynn in the conversation with the Russian ambassador was the one thing that was never asked about being unmasked. So when we learned that Barack Obama knew that Michael Flynn had a conversation with the Russian ambassador, when Sally Yates, the acting uh, attorney general, found that out, she was stunned that the president would know this. What you noted was that if this is the case, if we go through all this information, Flynn was never unmasked in the conversation they claim is the problem. So therefore, how in the world do they know it was Flynn? Yeah, that's right. The The only way this is explainable is if he was never masked in the first place, which is what I think happened. And you're quite right that what we've seen in the last uh, what was put out by Director of National Intelligence Grinnell is that uh, from November 8th, the day that Trump won the election until the end of January, uh, Flynn was unmasked by 39 different Obama administration officials on 53 different occasions, which is an extraordinary number of unmaskings in a short period of time. And mind you, we're only talking about one official. We know that the unmaskings the Obama administration did were much broader. But my point was the whole thing driving this train is the Kislyak conversation. That occurs on December 29th. And according to the unmasking records we got, there's an unmasking of Flynn on December 28th, the day before the conversation. And there's not another one until January 5th, even though we know that by January 3rd, they were already talking about Flynn having this conversation with Kislyak at very high levels of the Obama administration. Therefore, this cannot have been an unmasking. And I sense that uh, it had to have been. Uh, a situation where Flynn was never masked in the first place, and this conversation was intercepted by a program, an intelligence program, that doesn't require uh, masking or unmasking. That is outside the FISA, outside the NSA normal rules, probably by the, the CIA or a foreign intelligence service. 
So the masking happens when an American citizen is involved in a conversation with a foreign suspect, right? And so because they're American citizens, they're protected. So you would have to unmask them, unveil their name if you were a high-level official with certain levels of security clearance to see if that person was connected to maybe other things an investigation was dealing with. But in this well, case, well, as, well, as you describe it, there was no actual unmasking, which would mean it probably wasn't under the purview of the FBI or anything on American soil. Yeah, that's right. It, the masking is done in connection with intelligence programs that take place under FISA, which is the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. The CIA is not regulated by FISA. It's regulated by a longstanding executive order that's been modified a number of times, but it goes back to President Reagan. And they're just not under the same rules. And obviously, neither are uh, intelligence services that aren't under American law. So I want to understand you when you go through this and you break this down. What you're saying to me is that our intelligence services were keeping an eye on the incoming national security advisor because they didn't trust him or they were looking for something on him. That's what it sounds to me like you're saying. Yeah. And what I'm saying is is more probably broadly argued in ball collusion, uh, which you were kind enough to mention before. Um, and that is that I think this investigation goes back to 2015 and it involved a lot more than the FBI. I mean, we've heard a lot about once they opened their investigation in July of 2016 and the, you know, the FISA surveillance warrants and Carter page and all that stuff. I, I think the CIA played a key role uh, in this more sweeping investigation than people have realized it was, and that it goes back considerably before what we've been concentrating on. Talking to Andrew McCarthy, that book, by the way, is called Ball of Collusion, the plot to rig an election and destroy a presidency. Find it at Amazon.com, senior fellow at the National Review Institute, and also spent time in the Southern District of New York as an assistant attorney. I want to know, so that's the unmasking conversation, and we're going to learn more about this as more information comes out. I don't think there are people like yourself and others digging in. Sidney Powell, who is now Michael Flynn's lawyer, who is going to keep working to get this case uh, dismissed and keep digging on this. The conversation about the judge becomes fascinating. The Department of Justice says, you know what? We don't have a case here. We want to, we want to drop the case. The judge in this case... Judge Sullivan says, hmm, I'm not so sure we should drop this case, then turns to another judge, a retired federal judge by the name of John Gleason, and uh, uh, says, uh, hey, why don't you make a case for why this case should continue? File the brief, an amicus brief, on why this case should continue. Since when does a judge hear from the Justice Department that, hey, we're not, we don't want to move forward on a prosecution, and say, well... We're not so sure that we want to listen to you, Department of Justice, even though you're the one who filed the case. Uh, we're going to see if there's reason to continue this case. Yeah, that's not supposed to happen. The, the only. OK, as long as I got uh, that part right, we're good. Yeah, right. Well, the only component in the government that has the power to prosecute, uh, to decide whether to prosecute, to continue to prosecute is the executive branch. And in, in our system, that's an executive responsibility. And judges can squawk if they don't think prosecutors should dismiss cases. They can say, you know, I think you're going too soft on them. They can say all kinds of stuff, but they can't do anything about it. It's not the judge's job to decide who gets prosecuted. 
The unfortunate thing, Tony, is there's kind of a tension between the statute that uh, is is uh, in place. The, the rule of evidence or the rule of criminal procedure says that when the government moves to dismiss charges, it's got to be done with the leave of the court. That's probably unconstitutional, but Congress put it in to protect the defendant, uh, not to give the judge a second guess on whether the prosecutor should actually drop the case. The idea was, you know, prosecutors can do a lot of abusive things, like they can dismiss a case when it's not going well and figure they'll indict it later, or they can indict it and dismiss it, indict it and dismiss it to try to, you know, wear down your resources to resist the prosecution. There's all kinds of shady things that could be done. And that provision in the rule is designed to prevent that kind of stuff from happening. It's not designed to give the judge the power to tell the prosecutor that they can't dismiss the case for the benefit of the defendant. And I think Judge Sullivan here has seemed to forgot that the role of the United States courts is to protect the defendant from overbearing conduct by the executive branch. It's not to oppose the defendant and invite a bunch of amicus, uh, you know, amateur prosecutors to come in and oppose them, too. Well, what's interesting on the part two of this, and this gets political, and I don't I don't want to put you on the spot politically, but I am curious to get your thoughts. Gleason, who was appointed by Judge Sullivan to file this brief, he's asked for more time. And there is an argument out there that the purpose of Sullivan's maneuver is to try and have this go on until after the election. So maybe if Joe Biden should win, this whole thing is done, the case goes back on, and Flynn goes to jail. Any thoughts that this is just purely a political move by Sullivan and Gleason? Well, I think it is a political move. I don't think they have that kind of... Um, I, I, that would be a, a, a plan that probably wouldn't have any chance of working if that was their objective that is to you know string it out until biden were elected and then get flynn prosecuted anyway i think the the more sure thing is they would try to get trump to pardon flynn what flynn would like is to be vindicated in the sense of having the case dropped by the part of the government that brought it which allows him to hold up his head and say there was no case in the first place if trump has to pardon them that's politically difficult for trump in an election year. Uh, and for Flynn, it's not really vindication because people will always say there was a case there, but the president got him out of it. So I think if there's a political objective here, and I believe there is, uh, that's what Sullivan is trying to accomplish. It's unfortunate to see a judge uh, jump in and decide he's part of the political resistance, but that's uh, that appears to be what's going on here. And we see it far too often. Uh, Andrew McCarthy, senior fellow, National Review, Institute contributing editor at National Review. The book, Ball of Collusion, the plot to rig an election and destroy a presidency. Get it at Amazon.com, wherever fine books are sold. Sir, always a pleasure. We will catch you again. I'm Tony Katz.